What's going on, people, people? This is Christian Ishkumar, and I'm a producer for the show you're tuning into, From a People Perspective. This is a podcast about fascinating people, how they got to where they are, and where they're going, all from the lens of HR, recruitment, and operations. This show is hosted by Martin Hawk. Before getting started with today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to our sponsors. Thanks to Wealth Simple for Work, providing group RRSP and benefit programs for employers to offer, Spring Law, providing virtual support for your smallest and largest employment law issues, Humi, a beautiful and easy-to-use HRIS platform, and The Leadership Agency, providing award-winning recruitment for startups using innovative approaches. We've got a great episode ahead of us and hope you enjoy. I'm really excited. Um, I feel like it's been like 10 years, maybe 12 years, but probably only five. I'm not even sure. But today's guest is Marsha Shandor. And I met her while I was working for myself, struggling to be a freelance recruiter. And um, we were part of this community called the Center for Social Innovation, which is awesome. And you should check them out too. And she spoke to me first through her email that she sent out to the entire group and the entire community. And, and one thing led to another, and I started working with Marsha in terms of storytelling coaching. And that's, that's really what she does. Her expertise is, and what she does really, really, really well, is storytelling and providing speaking coaching. And so hopefully today's podcast will leave you as a better speaker, a better thinker, and just a better positioner of things. Um, Her career, her profession, her craft has been really super fascinating to me. It actually makes me a little bit jealous because anytime I talk to her, um, I get this like vibe of like, oh, that's somebody that is like doing something that they love. You can just tell that Marsha loves what she does. And because of that, she's had the opportunity to speak in front of massive audiences. She's had the opportunity to get picked up um, from the BBC, the Art of Charm podcast, Forbes, Mashable, you name it. Um, you know, and if you haven't caught her on there or if you haven't seen her work and and, and talk, you can always go to yesyesmarsha.com and you will find yourself watching practically all of her videos on the site within like just binge watching something like you might on Netflix, like all of its incredible stuff and you always learn something in a fun way. So welcome to the show, Marsha. Thank you for having me. Can I tell you, can I start by telling you a funny story? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because you mentioned the Art of Charm. So the Art of Charm is this huge podcast that I had never heard of. And I had been running a workshop. Uh, I used to teach networking. So I'd been running a workshop for a bunch of students mm-hmm. um, around networking. And one of the things I taught them is a good way to do networking is introduce people to somebody who might be useful for them. And um, and it doesn't have to directly relate to their work. And this student came up to me afterward and said, oh, there's this podcast I really like. It's these two guys. And I'd really love to suggest you for it because I think you'd be a great guest on it. Is that OK? And in my head, I was like, oh, your little friends, your little student friends in their basement making a podcast. <laughs> you want to suggest me so that I look good, so that it makes you look good. OK. So I was like, yeah, OK. I was like, wow, I am such a good person. <laughs> and then he introduced me and I did a bit of research and I found out that they have an average uh, number of downloads per episode of one million. <laughs> and I went on it and it like exploded my list and really helped my career. <laughs> So it just goes to show, even if you're feeling very patronizing, don't be patronizing. True, <laughs> Pretend true. to be humble even when you're not. That's a good lesson. I need to take that, <laughs> that myself sometimes, to be honest with you. Um, but no, no. So so thank you, Marsha, for, for coming um, and, and making time for me, because I can assure you we do not have a million downloads per, per episode. <laughs> not at least yet. 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 Thank you. Very key point. So um, before we dive into the nitty gritty, I always like to start off with uh, a few icebreakers. So um, you're unpacking some dusty boxes. You you come across one that's filled with CDs from your youth. Um, which ones are you struggling to, to get rid of? Which ones um, are the ones you're like, I know I don't have anything to play this on. 
<laughs> but I'm going to keep all it. of them. <laughs> um, I was, I was, I remember the very first CD I ever had. That's how old I am, Martin. Um, the very first CD I ever had was Suzanne Vega's 99.9 Fahrenheit. Uh, I can't remember if that was the name of the album or if that was just like the hit single mm. from it. And oh god, I remember. I can like I'm having this like Proustian rush of like my attic bedroom. I was 17. <laughs> my sweetheart at the time, who was a bit older, um, we used to back in the days when I used to smoke. We would like smoke out the window so my mum didn't catch. Very us. posh. Very posh. <laughs> uh, a bohemian um, life. Oh my god. Um, I think just like a southeast London teenage, <laughs> <laughs> slightly reckless life. Um, I think the CDs that would be hard to get rid of. I'll tell you what my favorite album of all time is. Perfect. Is um, it's uh, a band called Maximo Park, um, and it's their first album, A Certain Trigger, and they're like an in. They're kind of this like also ran indie band from the early two thousands. Like anybody who was around in that area would be like, really, Maximo Park is your favorite <laughs> album. But when I listen to that album, I feel the way that I imagine people who take hard drugs feel as they're taking hard drugs. Like I actually won't listen to it that often because I don't want to like spend it. And so mm. you can often tell a lot by the state of my mind. Like if I'm listening to a certain trigger by Maximo Park a lot, that's when you ask how I'm doing. <laughs> because to, to listen to that album is to make me feel like I am clad in armor. So mm. that's what it is. M-A-X-I-M-O-P-A-R-K. They're from the northeast of England. He has a very thick... I am young and I am lost, like a very thick Newcastle accent. Um, but I just actually feel a bit like goosebumpy even thinking about it. Nice. I'm, I'm definitely going to check those out uh, after this podcast. I'm going to have to like scroll back and and figure out that. Um, <laughs> you're on a road trip, presuming you like road trips. Stopping. I love off them, in, although I can't drive, so somebody else is driving. <laughs> someone else is driving, and you're stopping off in a small town. What's the first thing on your to-do list that isn't like, you know, fill gas or pick up some chips or whatever? Oh, my God, go to the diner. I actually have never been on a road trip. I come from a country that is very small and very highly populated, so there's a very good train system. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also, as discussed, can't drive. So I even have taken a lot of trains around North America. When I used to go to New York a lot from Toronto, I would take the train. And I once managed to get the train from Chicago. Like, I had to go to Detroit and stay with a friend and get up at 3 in the morning. And and uh, and I am ever since I was obsessed with Twin Peaks as a teenager... I um, became obsessed with the idea of like going on a road trip cross country across small town America <laughs> and mostly it's diners I'm very obsessed with diners because again we didn't really grow up with them so in Toronto I'm really hoping it survived the pandemic my favorite is the Lakeview Diner Lakeview. it's been around since 1932 or something and um, yeah I would go straight to the diner and have a milkshake yeah 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 milkshakes I actually have a friend who helps me with the people people group it's a great friend Kari and we actually get uh we, we have like a regular pre pre COVID we have a regular like milkshake meeting where nice. we just go, we get some nice milkshakes over at Thompson and uh yeah, no. Nice, nice. No, so I mean I have a few more, but I feel like there's so much to talk about. So we'll we'll dive into that. Um before we do, um would just love like a kind of quick history of, you know, your background. You know how you got to what you're doing why you're doing what you're doing and then we can dive in how we can apply that to the hr recruitment world so i was a radio dj for 15 years on music radio the biggest chunk of my career was on a station called xfm that was famous for it was started up by like a bunch of people including the singer from the cure and the singer from blur and then ricky gervais had his first job there he and i like crossed over i think he left about three weeks after i started um so i only met him once but um russell brand used to work there simon Pegg, like lots of famous comedians but it was a new music station mm. Um, called XFM and I was there for years and years and loved it and my whole first career was in radio and I thought that was going to be me for the rest of my life and then towards the end I started thinking I don't think this is the thing that I'm best at and then I moved to Toronto and I decided to change careers while I was changing continents. Hot tip, <laughs> if you're about to have a giant cultural crisis, like don't also have a giant identity crisis, um, but it kind of made sense at the time. And I moved in, honestly, not really knowing what I was going to do and not really knowing what I was best at. 
and then I sort of stumbled on the world of coaching and like online service-based business and as I mentioned I started teaching networking because that's what I used to do for 20 year olds mostly young men who wanted to get into radio uh, and it never crossed my mind that anyone would pay for that information because <laughs> I would literally corner people at parties and force them to listen to it and then in the meantime I started up um, a storytelling show a live storytelling show called True Stories Told Live Toronto which um, was at the garrison at Ossington and Dundas it's moved online for the pandemic um, and was coaching all of the storytellers and realised, like, I was like, oh, it's just radio. All of the rules are the same, like, reset the scene, don't have too many extraneous characters, edit as much as you can, like, so, you know, uh, have specific details, have emotion, draw people in. So many of the same rules. So I was coaching people on that. And really, like, radio is where I figured out how to tell stories because... I, I am Russian, and anyone, if you're listening and you're Eastern European, you will know that our currency is stories. But I was the person telling stories that went on for so long, all my friends would have their he heads in their hands being like, can you just get to the point, Marsh, while I'm describing like the different shade of green of every blade of grass in the field. And then I got a job on music radio, and suddenly I had to cut my stories from 20 minutes down to 20 seconds, because after 20 seconds, the jingle kicks in, and you have to stop talking, because someone else is. So that was where I learned how to edit and that was also where I learned how to get the most bang for my buck in those 20 seconds so once I was kind of coaching and I just was realizing people needed help with their stories or their keynotes and presentations and and then from that I started running workshops on storytelling and so now I work with people mostly on either keynotes or messaging or I go into organizations and I run storytelling uh, workshops on storytelling communication and empathy mm -hmm. so sometimes it's straight up storytelling workshops sometimes like I have one coming up where it's like a big group and there's often you know a decision is made from head office and then people at the storefront are like that doesn't make any sense or vice versa and so it's like all about how can you put yourself in somebody else's shoes before you make those decisions and then how can you communicate in a way that wants makes people want to listen and also how can you listen better right. that's one of the things that i'm teaching them um so that's what i do now and you're right that i love it like i cannot believe my luck martin i cannot believe my luck that for my job i get to listen to people's stories and i get to, pe to teach people how to tell stories because one of the big myths about storytelling is like you're either good at storytelling or you're not it's a it's born yeah a skill that you're born with and it's absolutely not true it is a learned so, I mean, you know this because we've worked together. It is a set of rules mm -hmm. that anyone can follow and anyone can practice. I actually quote you all the time. I don't know <laughs> if I've ever told you this. Because at the end of us working together, you said, what's the story, Jim? Where do I practice stories? And I was like, hmm, I think it's a networking event where you don't care that much about the outcome <laughs> because you can just go to lots of different groups of people and just try out different stories and be like, okay, that was a bit too long. That was a bit too short. I'm going to punch this one up. I'm going to put more emotion in this one. I'm going to put less emotion in that one. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love it. I really can't believe that I get to do this. And I kind of feel like my mum became an interpreter just as the Iron Curtain fell and everybody wanted to speak to the Russians. And I sort of feel like I've had a similar timing luck because I have gotten into running training on storytelling just as suddenly storytelling is like the buzzword yeah. in corporate and everybody is talking the about it. The iron curtain of storytelling the has, iron curtain has come storytelling down has and fallen. this wave of people who want to tell stories yes. but don't know how is just yes. knocking down your door. And it's also just a fundamentally human thing. You know, it's not just the thing that we would do to soothe ourselves around the campfire. It's how we pass down information mm -hmm. before we had books, <laughs> you know, was through stories. Yeah. I've, I remember there are specific people, yourself obviously, but other people in my life that I've come across. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could tell stories like so-and-so. And it's just like now they were probably born with it. So I'm glad that you called it out that it's it's something that you can work on and something that you can improve on. And I've been doing this for eight and a half years and I have never had a single person come to me who wants to be a better storyteller who I haven't sent away as one. For my for my live show, the only stipulation to get on stage is that you've been to at least one show and that you want to tell a story. And I often have people, every show really, we have somebody who's either never been on stage in their entire life before or never been on stage to tell a story. You know, they're a musician or they're a poet or a stand-up. And um, and I have I don't I don't turn anyone away because I'm truly 
um, I truly believe that everybody has at least one fantastic 10 minute performative story in them. But mostly people have, I mean, I think the other thing is people go, oh, I don't have any good stories. But it's not about the story that you tell, it's about how you tell it. Mm -hmm. And we all know that, right? Because we all have that one person in our life who they can tell any story yeah. and it's fascinating. And we all have been stuck next to that one person or stuck in a meeting with that one person who we know did something interesting, but oh my gosh, when are they going to stop talking? Yeah. Because they may actually die of boredom. The <laughs> first person's following the rules. The second person is not following the rules. Anyone can learn those rules. And that's... And that's what we're here to do, I think. Like, that's that. That's what, you know, ironically, I saw an Instagram post from you. I'm like, one, I haven't talked to Martian so long. How is she doing? Let's check in. Two, I've been super lazy about doing my next episode of, of a podcast. This would be a great, you know, this would be a great person and topic to cover for HR and and recruitment and I think more in terms of recruitment because that's sort of my background but I think without even knowing it the stuff that I learned from you when it can be easily translated into how employers and recruiters can can brand themselves brand their companies um, in a way that is captivating right and you know your 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 what you focus on in terms of you know trying to make people unforgettable i think companies need to be unforgettable as well um, especially when you've got an engineer or a software developer who's interviewing at six different places there's a part of their brain that's going to gravitate towards the place that just sounds the most interesting even though it might not be the most interesting topic or product or service whatever the case might be so i guess that's sort of setting the stage in terms of you know you know even just presenting that what's your what's your first thought what how would you how would you tackle that well i would say i think that being unforgettable is uh, is important for everyone, like is important for HR people as well, because you're often having to, even if you're not having to sell someone in your company, you're having to sell a concept or you're having to sell, you know, somebody engaging in some new thing that they haven't done before. Um, yeah, and I think absolutely it's about giving people an emotional experience and also kind of a sensory experience. Like one of the coolest things about doing this work is I have learned... Um, a lot of the brain science behind storytelling and it's interesting because it's backing up a lot of things I've been saying for years but I was just kind of saying them on instinct and one of the things I used to say is when somebody tells a story and the audience you know whether that's one person or five people or 50 people is listening there's an energy in the air I used to call it an alchemy actually and I realized it's not alchemy it's neurology because they've done studies where they look at our brains um, look at people's brains when they're listening to stories so if we were to look at your brain right now Martin mm -hmm. um, I'm telling you facts the parts of your brain that would light up are called Broca's area and Wernicke's area they're the data processing parts but if we looked at your brain when I was telling you a story the parts of your brain that would light up are the parts of your brain that would light up if you were inside my story if the story was happening to you so I talk about smelling coffee your olfactory cortex lights up I talk about grabbing a pen your motor cortex lights up mm -hmm. specifically the part related to hand movement so it engages completely different parts of people's brains and that's why stories are often very memorable and very sticky so if you have you know a software developer who's interviewing at five different places you want to be memorable you want to be on forgettable because you want them to be like oh yeah that's the place that I wanted to work but also I feel like you want them to kind of have an emotional experience and we um we ba we base our decisions on our emotions uh, so if I may just I won't mm. do this all the way through but get brain science again no, actually when we when we're making a decision what happens is we're going to a part of our brain called the orbitofrontal cortex and that's the part of our brain um, that looks at the memory of emotions. So we like to think that we're super rational and we base all of our decisions on, you know, reason. Logic. And, but actually what we're doing is we're looking and asking ourselves, is this going to make me comfortable in the future? So that's why we're going to the memory of emotions part of our brain. And we're asking, like, is this going to make me feel comfortable in the future? And 
if you are somebody who runs distance runs, you might think, well, Marsha, I ran a marathon and that was not very comfortable. Um, and I can tell you, having run two, no, they are not. <laughs> They're awful. Um, but the way you feel afterwards when all those endocannabinoids are flying around your brain and you just ran a freaking marathon is amazing. And so that's what you're basing the decision on. And so... When so you want to you want to like tickle people's emotions as you're talking, and when you give them a list of facts of why yours is a good organization to work for, like obviously the facts are important. You can't just go in there and be like, you know, there I was, stood in the corner of the room, looking out at a sea of people, and not tell them anything <laughs> about like what the pay is and what the holidays <laughs> are and what the job description is. But if you can also tickle that, then that's that's what's really going to help them when it comes to making that decision. And I feel like. Especially if you, you know, if you have a, if you have an organization, some organizations just are inherently kind of sexy, you know, mm -hmm. if it's like, come work at Google, come work at this, you know, whatever it is, brand new thing that's just been invented, that's going to change everyone's lives. But most organizations aren't that. Mm -hmm. Most of them, either the person has never heard of, or they have a preconceived notion of what it means. Yep. And so, so for example, I'm running a workshop soon for CPA Ontario. And part of what they have is people have this idea of what is an accountant. And it's like, oh, it's my granddad stuck in a stuffy office yep. with his calculator bored out of his mind because he's got, you know, who has no personality. But actually part of their job is like, how can we tell people, you know, you could like build a fashion empire on the back of your CPA experience. Like there's all these really different interesting things you can do. And so often it's about painting that picture for the person. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, so the, I would say the first step before we get into any of the rules of storytelling, the first step always, and I do this with all my keynote speakers, with anyone that I'm working on, is you want to ask yourself, like, why am I telling this story and what do I want people to do differently as a result? Mm -hmm. And you want to think about who you're telling the story to and what they care about. So say your software engineer um, example, like maybe you're speaking to someone and they're going for like a C-level position. What are the things that they care about? Or are you speaking to somebody who's entry level? Like what are the things that they care about? And then what story can you tell that is going to speak to them? You know, depending on where they are. Um, so... I don't know, where, say you're speaking to someone who's entry level and you know that they want to work their way up, then maybe you tell them a story about somebody who worked in the organization and was there for a year and then, you know, got to manager and got to this level and this level and now is doing, you know, two years later is doing this, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Um, say you're speaking to someone and you know that family is really important to them, then maybe you tell them a story about somebody who works in the organization and needed to take a week off because their grandmother was in crisis and the way that the organization is set up, the culture makes that okay. Okay. Um, so I think the first thing is like always think about who you're speaking to and what is appealing to them and interesting to them, which I think is like actually a basic rule for any communication ever. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, like, what is your goal? What do you want people to do differently as a result? But also what do they care about and how can you relate your thing to them? And then I think in terms of stories, it's really the two things that bring stories to life are sensory details and emotions. Mm -hmm. And part of that is that they're things that we can relate to. We haven't had every experience, but we have had pretty much every emotion. Um, so I was speaking recently to some HR um, professionals and, uh, and we were talking about diversity, equity and inclusion. So I am a... You can't see because this is audio, but I am a very white lady and, you know, I'm Russian and I'm English. I am very white. I am cis. I'm non-disabled. Um, I am queer, but I tend to read as straight to straight people. So I don't have a lot of experience of um, experiencing oppression in the world. I definitely have zero experience of racial oppression. Um, but uh, I worked with a client recently who runs this incredible organization called the Corporate Alley Cat, um, which is uh, helps people of color who work in corporate and we were working on her story of being racially discriminated against and so what we did was we pulled out the sensory details and we pulled out the emotions mm -hmm. and we talked about the moment where she's on the phone and her manager says to her that meeting we were just in can you just explain this to me and she instantly from the tone of her voice her stomach drops and she knows what's going on and she's and she knows that she did nothing wrong but that he has found a problem with her and it's kind of been this thing that she was expecting 
and dreading and now it's happened and so I can relate to that I know how it is to be on the phone to someone to have them say something and to be like oh my gosh this is happening and so I can touch like I'm, I'm never going to know what it's like to be a person of colour being discriminated against but I can touch it when she describes a situation of sitting in her office the sensory like sitting in the office holding the phone the sun coming in the window and then she describes the emotion like how does she feel where is it in her body what is she thinking mm-hmm. and so that's a way that we can relate to things and so even if you're just relating um, you know, rather than saying uh, we had one person who came in entry level and then had worked them way, their way up in, in two years, and that's just the straight fact. It's like, how can we put a bit of sensory detail in emotion? How can we say, you know, he came in and he was working on this project that... Um, that was even if the actual project is boring like what's the how do we make it sexy by relating it to human beings you know the end result was that people saved two hours every time they wanted to cook Mm -hmm. um and you know and he was he was working hard with his team and they were all so engaged you know they loved they were hanging out together outside of work as well as inside of work and then within six months he found himself in this new position and it was so exciting that he got to suddenly be in charge of the project instead so it's like we're putting in these little bits of emotion and little bits of sensory detail and that excites our listeners brain and helps them relate to it right i think one thing that um is standing out to me as you talk about this is as recruiters and HR people, and I, I haven't really thought about this until we talked about it, because this happens naturally. And so I think when it happens naturally with people, they end up being proficient or good at doing it. But if you're not doing it, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to really. So a lot of times there's this focus on like selling the organization and the key facts about the organization. And so what's the history of the company? But I think a better thing to do or something that you absolutely need to do, and I'm literally just thinking about this now as you say it, is truly under, like making a point to get stories from other people within the organization. So you have this Rolodex of stories that like, oh, if the candidate talks about family, I've got three or four stories to talk about how our company has been good to people with families. Or if, you know, somebody's talking about, you know, a challenge they had at another organization because, you know, they weren't focused on diversity or they weren't compassionate or empathetic to this person's struggles, you have no like, oh, we do, you know, we have a employee resource group, da, 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 da. No, you have a story of like, no, this is how so-and-so like this is how we elevated so and so or whatever the case might be so like rather than just getting your pitch down you also want to get stories from within the organization you're on mute there sorry sorry i'm so sorry no worries. <laughs> it gives credibility mm-hmm. as well because it's one thing to say you know i feel there's a lot of conversation going on about it this month so we're recording this in june and it's um pride in ontario mm-hmm. and how and lots of other places and how many companies are like here's the rainbow flag pride okay. hi gays we love you just but for like, this month just for this month but we know you know you you i know i saw you had an excellent um post on instagram about this and that you have a couple of blogs up about this on your site Mm -hmm. about how how to make um lgbtq to sa plus people comfortable all year round and and not you know how how many companies might say yes we have great dei um, resources in place but actually you go in and and everybody at the top is still white Mm -hmm. and nobody is making any efforts to change that and you know people of color are still getting shut down and so if you can instead tell a story um then that shows some credibility because it's like oh they actually walk their talk you know whether it's about family whether it's about challenges whatever it's about um totally and i want to add into that also to not discount your own stories because it's good to tell other people's stories but whenever you can tell a story it has even more credibility because people will say oh it's true and that your story doesn't have to have a direct line but if there can be an analogy Mm -hmm. um or if you can say what i really love about the culture is um you know this 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 um then people will be like oh that's that that person truly you know what it's like when you talk to someone and they truly love where they work mm-hmm. 
it makes such a big difference than when you talk to someone and they're just giving you the list of reasons yeah. why it's good. 100%. And so if you can tell even, and it doesn't have to be a big story about like when I came in and my boss gave me a 200% raise, <laughs> you can just be like, I came in one morning, you know, I'd, I'd had a really rough morning. My cat died and I wasn't expecting it. And I had this big project and my colleague came over and went, Hey, I can take this meeting by myself. I've got this. You go, you know, sit in the washrooms and cry for half an hour if you need to. And I knew that that was okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or just anything. I feel like those are, or even like one thing that I have found working with different organizations is before I run a workshop, if I'm designing the workshop for them, I'll often have a lot of informational interviews. Mm -hmm. And for me, one of the signs of the culture of an organization is how long have people been there? And there's two different organizations I'm working with at the moment where when I speak to people, they say, oh, I've been here 25 years or I've been here 10 years or I started at the storefront level and now I'm in, you know, working in. And to me, I'm like, okay, so probably this culture is pretty good, especially if there is diversity in who this, you know, their demographics mm -hmm. because if you've stayed at this company so whereas what sometimes you work at you know at organizations and if it's not a startup it's a big it's like been going for a long time but everyone's been there for six months you're like okay <laughs> and so those like what are the different things you can do to kind of show social proof mm -hmm. of the when you're giving these long lists long laundry lists of what's good about this organization how can you back that up and it could be tiny little moments mm -hmm. you know it could even just be as simple as saying Oh, you know, we, we have a strict no emails after seven o'clock policy, um, but actually me and my colleagues end up slacking till nine every night because we're just chit-chatting about what we're watching on TV yeah. or something. That's such a small thing, but that tells me so much about the culture 100%. at work, especially with that kind of thing, because we all know that people quit. You know, this is one of the things when I'm teaching storytelling as leadership, I'm always saying like, we, people quit bosses and they quit you know, they quit teams. We've all stayed in terrible jobs because we love who we're working with. Mm -hmm. And we've all either left pretty good jobs or really wanted to. I had two bosses at the radio station and one of them, I would come in every day and he had been put in charge of us. He'd been put in charge of us and the pop station and he loved the pop station and we were like the runt of the litter. <laughs> he was kind of forced to, but I would come in every day and I'd go, hey, how's it going? And he would barely make eye contact with me. And I was convinced he hated me. At one point, one of my, one of the people I was closer to who worked underneath him went, oh no, that guy talks about you really well in the meetings. And I was like, he can't even look at me. And then I had this other boss who, you know, we'd, we'd have gigs for the thing and he'd be like, oh, come out, you know, and he'd be like buying drinks or be like, oh, do you want to come and hang out? We're going to go back to my hotel room and have a drink. And like in a way that wasn't boundary crossing, but just in a way that made me feel welcome. Or I'd come in and he'd just ask me about like, oh, how's it going? How's your day? Or he would remember facts about me. Mm -hmm. And that made me want to go. And I didn't end up quitting the job with a terrible boss because I loved the job so much. And I trusted that he would leave because radio is very fickle. And he did. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I didn't do anything extra for him. I would like do very little work. Whereas the other boss, I remember him calling me once. We'd had like a, we'd had, we used to have kind of gigs, music gigs sponsored by Jameson Whiskey. And so we had once, so there was a lot of free whiskey. And you have to understand when I lived in the UK, drinking is our national sport. <laughs> and um, <laughs> like I would probably pass out just smelling whiskey nowadays. But literally at two o'clock in the morning the guy who was handing out the whiskey was pouring it neat from the bottle into my mouth and I went home slept for two hours got a phone call from this boss Andy Ashton who I loved saying you know such and such can't do his show can you come in now and cover a show and I was like yes because I would do anything yeah. for that guy mm. and that's the difference that it makes when you show yourself as a human being so I tell those two stories and that tells you to, about two very different cultures yeah. um, so, and yet it's yes. still intertwined in the same you know it was the same company it was the same company, but yeah. two different cultures. And actually, like, you know, the, the first one was my first boss. And then he came back and was my last boss. And I only left that job because I was moving to Canada. But I was very, very sad to leave hmm. Andy Ashton, best boss I've ever had. Nice little <laughs> shout out. Well, <so>. Yeah. <laughs> um, you touched on sort of the emotional side. And that's the part where I didn't really get too many ideas for myself personally. You know, the, the other side of, you know, you know, extracting stories from the organization and being the chief storyteller or being you know the ambassador of stories that makes sense that that you know two plus two equals four in that situation but i think a part that you know if i'm struggling with it i'm sure the listener is is struggling with it too is like mm -hmm. how do how do you tap into the emotional side of those things especially with like something that's corporate or job related i guess 
So I think it's again about what's the human moment that is illustrative of the thing that you're saying. So tell me, give me an example of something on the laundry list that someone might say to be like, this is a great place to work or like this is a place that, you know, here are the benefits of working here. Yeah. So the, the problems we're solving, right? Like the, the problems that the company is solving, you know, you, you talked about CPAs. I'll, I'll use an example for myself right now. Uh, it. I work at a company. We are Caseware. We are like Canada's largest accounting and audit software company. You talked about accountants earlier. There is a stereotype mm-hmm. that, exists, that, that exists there. So the problems that we're solving are actually really interesting. We're making their lives easier so that every day it's easier for them to do their jobs. They get more done. They're more efficient. They're more effective. And there is a value to that. But I think tying emotion to it is the, you know, the part I might be missing. I don't know. Was that the example so, you were looking for? So, no, no, that's perfect. So let me ask you a question. Um, if they, if you didn't make their lives easier, what would, what would it be like? Like, what's the, what's the problem? What is the problem that's happening that you solve? Well, I think that's like paper pushing, right? The, the definition of paper pushing is if you're not making somebody's life easier and they're just doing monotonous tasks all day, they don't get to do any of that creative stuff. Okay, so you put that's where you put the emotion is to be like we work with people who are in a position where they're spending all day every day having to do these monotonous, you know, I'm making this up, but like data entry <laughs> um, and having to crunch all of these numbers so their work just makes them feel like a rat in a cage pressing a button. We come in, we create these solutions, so actually that stuff barely takes any time at all and then they are free to work on the things that they really care about. So when they come into work every day instead of dreading it they're coming into work looking forward to it feeling excited about their day mm-hmm. do you see just like the emotion there it's, it's so often like pain point and then desire um which is like you know when this is kind of messaging talk but anyone who pays for anything they're either paying to solve a problem or to create a delight and most of the time they're paying to solve a problem so right. your comp so most organizations exist to solve a problem yeah. you know sobeys exists to solve the problem of not having any food in your house and not having anything to eat so you go to sobeys and you buy some food um your company kate you know caseware creates the problem of um having this stuff that's time consuming and annoying and boring so you take that out so now they have more time on their hands Mm -hmm. that's like a lovely and they can actually focus on the stuff that's really important to them and that is fun to do Mm -hmm. and so so say you're going to sell that as saying we we work with people creating software that takes away stops them from having to spend all of their time doing boring monotonous tasks there's emotion implied in that no one's like yay boring monotony that's just what i wanted you know unless they're like going through a super bad breakup and they need something to take their mind off it most people aren't looking for boredom and monotony and saying freeing up their time so they can work on the so they can work on the work that really matters then again there's implicit in that because when you're working on stuff that really matters it feels good and it feels exciting and so and then there's like a second layer of that of saying you if you come and work with us you you are going to be changing lives. You are going to ma- be making people's lives better. And I believe that like all we really want in life is first of all, to feel truly seen and heard and understood. And that's what it is to be loved. And second, to feel like we've been of service, to feel like we left the world better off than we found it. And so you're saying to people by doing this job, it will be meaningful by doing this job. You know, if you say to someone, come and do this job and you'll just be like pushing a lot of numbers around and really you could be replaced by a robot. Who cares? <laughs> like no one's going to be like, woo. But if you say, you want to go But if you say, come and do this job and you will be genuinely changing lives. And maybe the story there is, oh, we just got an email last week from a customer who said, I looked at my numbers. I've been tracking my time. And this time last year, you know, I didn't have, I was working till nine o'clock at night just to get finished. And and the company wasn't growing at all. This year, I've managed to clock off at five every day. And our company has grown tenfold because of all the extra time I have. Thank you, Caseware. Um, Then suddenly it's like, wow, people, I'd get emails like that from people. I think, I think that's a really, that, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously you've thought about this for, for a lot. And I like the way that you talked about customer stories, right? Because those are the people that you're typically impacting. You, mm-hmm. you talked a bit about sort of like some of the work that you've done in terms of like being customer focused and how that applies to storytelling as well. And so the the idea of tying that together 
at the interview or at the interview stage when you're reaching out to somebody they've never heard of your organization and you can say like you don't know about us but we're actually the person behind the scenes you know pulling the levers making so-and-so's life easier and that could be the appealing part um that that actually pulls them in says you know what i'm going to talk to to marty about x y or z yeah and you don't have to mention every single client like you can just pull the sexier <laughs> seeming clients you know the ones that are like we're helping world changers but we're also helping people who aren't changing the world that much right. but just want to have an easier life like you can just pull in a couple of those stories one of my favorite things um that i do every now and then is when uh so there was one organization and every year they would have a kind of appreciate the staff day and they would bring in a keynote speaker um and then they decided to switch it and instead of having keynote speaker they hired me to come and coach three to five former clients to tell a five-minute story on how this organization had changed their life and so these are people who've never done any kind of public speaking before really (laughs) but I sit down with them and I and I pull out this story and the first I remember the very first time it happened the person who hired me said she was sat in the audience the person's telling the story and then she sees this like kerfuffle going on in the audience she thinks why aren't they listening and she realized it's because they're passing around kleenex because everyone's crying and i was like yes (laughs) because tears are one of my metrics i'm like as long as people are crying something's happening because again you know what's going to be more meaningful to have someone being like you're doing this this and this every day or to have someone coming in and being like this is how this has changed my life and it was in very small ways sometimes but it's really again we want to feel like what we're doing has meaning we want to feel like we're being of service and so maybe that is part of of the conversation that you have in recruiting, but also I would say in anything in HR, like that's how you keep up engagement. That's how you keep up, you know, productivity and retention is to say what you're doing is not pointless. Mm -hmm. When not having meaning is kind of one of the, you know, people talk about often depression comes from not having meaning when people have have lost. And I've had this with people in my life where like they've lost, lost their job and and have not gone out and looked for another one and they start to kind of because it's suddenly like what am I even doing what's the point of me you know who would miss me if I was gone and so if you can say to people what you do has meaning that's really profound and that's yeah where it comes in from client stories but the client sometimes is the client outside the organization but sometimes it's someone else inside the organization even if you're hiring someone to come and do HR then they're going to help people help the client but also if you can say like look at how you helped people inside the organization look at how you've made their lives much easier i try and always make a point of whoever my contact is at an organization of telling them how much i love working with them oh my gosh i sent a gushing email just last week to somebody in hr who is my contact at this big organization because she's just a delight to work with she's super communicative i really enjoy my calls with her it makes my life much easier if i didn't enjoy engaging with her if she was bad at communicating i would find engaging with this organization really stressful Mm -hmm. and so i think it's motivating to tell stories to everyone in that respect absolutely and i think i mean all of this podcast is focused on you know the hr recruitment operation side of things even most importantly i think in terms of people being good storytellers and people being good communicators it needs to be the leadership team it needs to be the executives right because oftentimes they're the ones that are telling you the most recent story as to why you're still there why you're still doing that and if Mm. that's not happening on a regular basis you're you're talking about engagement and everything like that it was like engage like that's little i am engaged with this organization why well the ceo gave us this update two weeks ago and that put some wind in my sails because Mm -hmm. the story that they talked about as opposed to like here are the numbers you know you know, business is up 20%. Like that's going to, obviously, if you're at a town hall or something, it's not going to connect as much with people as opposed to we just signed client XYZ and this is how that's going to impact the rest of the business. And this is what it's done for folks. And I would add in leadership, one of the things I'm also always saying is if you want people, you know, we talked earlier about how you don't quit, we often quit a boss Mm, or quit, mm. you know, a team. If you come across as a perfect robot, it's very hard for people to like you and it's very hard for people to trust you. If you come across as a perfect robot, then 
people aren't going to bring you mistakes early on because they're going to be afraid that you'll shame them. Um, if you come across as a perfect robot, then people aren't going to innovate because in order to innovate, you have to have a culture where it's okay to try things that don't work. Um, and but so you have to show some vulnerability as a leader but it's hard to do that without worrying about it reducing your status or making you look bad storytelling is a super low stakes way to do that you know it could be as simple as saying oh I went to the store this morning and I forgot my mask and I was about to turn around and go home and then I realized there was a pair of my kids pants on the back seat of the car so I just wrapped that around my face (laughs) and it worked a charm that doesn't make you any less good of a manager or a VP or a CEO but it does show that you're an perfect human being you know if you say I went to go and buy a coffee and I accidentally asked for a smarte instead of a latte and then I felt really stupid but then the barista drew a smiley face on my cup so I knew I was okay it shows you are not a perfect robot you sometimes make mistakes but it doesn't in any way affect how good you are at your job I don't know about so and so running the company because they they misordered their latte it's not right they said a word wrong yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly exactly but it shows that you're human and it makes people like you more Brene Brown says vulnerability when we meet someone it's the last thing we want to show them but it's the first thing we look for in anyone else I'm someone who like I find it very easy to like people and to find things I like about people but there's two or three people in my life who I can't stand (laughs) every every time I see them I'm like oh that guy's the worst and I kind of examined it because there were a couple of people that I had to see regularly at things and it's an uncomfortable feeling for me and I realized it's because they never show a lick of vulnerability and I think on some level I just feel like maybe you are perfect and you're gonna find out i'm not and show me up (laughs) and that's why i don't like them because part of me doesn't feel comfortable enough to be around them so i think it's so important for leaders to to tell those stories to show their own vulnerability and as you say to pass along information to really show about why what the work people doing is doing really matters so i think this is covered we've covered a lot obviously and there's so much that we could go into and I love all the million directions that we've kind of gone into but I think I mean I'm no need to necessarily summarize but I guess it's probably too short a time to you know dive into like at a high level how do you start you know you you mentioned this earlier like how do I start going to the storytelling gym so that I can be better is is there a quick way for folks to start going are there some storytelling push-ups that you might recommend <laughs> so i'm going to make you a secret web page which is my website yes yes marsha.com forward slash people and on there i am going to put a link to a very short five-part blog series i i wrote on with the basics of how to tell a story um, i'm also going to put a resource a pdf which basically has like a storytelling checklist mm-hmm. so you want to read through that blog post first and then look through and see did i include all of these things there's also like an audio version of it if you're more of a listener than a reader um and that i would say is the very first place to start is read through and you'll see the way that i write the blog post there's examples in all of them to really get you a sense of what i'm talking about um and those would be the first place to start and then in terms of the story gym it's like what's the most low stakes place you know right now we don't have a lot of networking opportunities but it's probably your family and friends it's maybe your facebook page you know just try trying out some of the things actually i'm going to stick on there also a video that has the most important rule of storytelling which is uh spoiler alert i dress up and reenact the rocky training montage as part of this video (laughs) and the classic scene from the graduate where i play both dustin hoffman and Anne bancroft's characters Um, but it's just like a really short little three minute video and it'll give you the most important thing that you need to know when you when it comes to telling stories which is basically go small or go home it's about small moments it's about action scenes it's not about describing an entire summer that happened to you because that's going to be boring it's about describing a moment and then including those sensory details and including the emotions perfect no no that's that's awesome i have to finish off with a silly question and this is completely selfish but and i pieced it together just before we started talking i recently got into dungeons and dragons so if we're talking about vulnerability there's some sort of negative connotation towards (laughs) dungeons and dragon being like the pinnacle of nerdism um have you explored like have you jumped in because you would be the best dungeon master 
of all time. I've never I been a dungeon it. master. I played it a lot as a teenager, and I did. You want to talk about nerdy, my friend? I did live action role playing in underground caves in southeast London. Okay. Um, it was called Labyrinth, and my favorite That's like character. The Valhalla of nerdy. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I was a. I was my favorite character was a cave woman called Woman, and I was only allowed one word, and that word was Woman. <laughs> so I was going around with this giant latex mace, going Woman, Woman, and then hitting people. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. So I, but I've never been a dungeon master. I felt like I didn't. I kind of just dipped my toe into D and D when I was a kid, and so I was never quite experienced enough. But I think Dungeons and Dragons is cool again because of Stranger Things. I think Stranger Things made it right. cool. They 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 took away some of that stigma. Um, yeah. yeah. Hence me being involved. I'm sure you know. Had that not <laughs> happened, I would probably be like, I don't want to play that. But it's literally been the most. <sighs> fun thing that I've gotten myself involved in that like doesn't cost any money and you can do with your friends awesome and, yeah so awesome I'm this is my like low-key way of trying to recruit you into like a campaign <laughs> into the future I'm not gonna lie it's not low-key anymore it's, it's high-key I'm just okay. asking you blatantly like only Marcia. if I can hit you with a latex mace sometimes <laughs> yeah okay no cool to know um awesome thank you so much again for your time today um, let's wrap it up with, you know, and, and you mentioned this already, what's the best way for anybody to get in touch with you? Um, I can't imagine anybody listening to this and not being super stoked and excited to reach out to you. <laughs> so come to my secret webpage and you'll find a bunch of resources and you don't have to sign up to my list to get any of them. There are some where, there's some bonus ones if you sign up to my mailing list. But honestly, I don't check who unsubscribes. So if you want the bonus ones, sign up to my list, get the resources and then unsubscribe. I do that all the time. <laughs> I do it under false name just in case the per- if I know the person um, but if you go to yesyesmarsha.com forward slash people you will find all of those resources that we talked about and I'll even throw in a link to the Maximo Park album how about that <laughs> amazing that'll save me some I always wondering how I might send spell that so there we go perfect thanks so much thank you And that wraps up another episode of From a People Perspective. If you learned something today and want to join an amazing Slack community of talented HR, recruitment, and operations professionals, head on over to thepeoplepeoplegroup.com. On there, you can sign up to join the Slack community or get access to a number of incredible resources we've carefully curated on a bounty of relevant topics like diversity, equity, and inclusion, policies and procedures, and even employment branding. Again, All this can be viewed at thepeoplepeoplegroup.com. It's completely free and pretty awesome. As well, you can find and follow us on both Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, find us at peoplepeoplegrp and on Instagram at thepeoplepeoplegroup. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you soon.